Welcome to Mars Messina Presents. I am Mars, and today is Saturday, August 21st, 2021. Four years ago today, we had that awesome solar eclipse in the North American region and other parts of the world. I was just remembering that. Anyway, uh, before we move on to today's subject... I would like to invite you to support this podcast if you feel so inclined. My Venmo account is MDM773. Any and all contributions, big or small, are enormously appreciated. I will remind you of my Venmo account at the end of today's episode. Also, for this or any other comment, question, or suggestion, I invite you to email me at thisismarsmessina at gmail.com. Yeah, I have to kind of start advertising on my show to bring some funding to this project. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, it's art, and it's fun, and it's relaxation, but... It's business, too, so sorry to uh, indulge or you and in, having you indulge me on this. Um, but I do appreciate it if you can and feel so inclined to contribute to monetarily to this program. So today's subject is on artificial intelligence or a... Uh, <coughs> AI for short. I'll, I might abbreviate it to AI. I will do my very best to separate science from science fiction. But the lines always seem to blur these days because we're going to be talking about things that just seem otherworldly or that you've seen uh, on the Jetsons uh, cartoon. But a lot of this stuff is already in existence or will soon be. Um, and some of it is still very fiction-esque. Um, so I'm going to try to to err on the side of what's real or within our grasp. And I would like to begin today's topic with an experience I had several years ago, hoping that it serves as something of a, a warning call to those of us who are going to be implementing AI in our lives and certainly in, in our children's lives, um, that we all need to check in with our ethics. So several years ago, I worked in this uh, studio slash, slash office um, environment where we had something on our computers called The Sims. It, um, it was a family, a mom and a dad and some children. And of course, it was a computerized family. And some of you have, may have seen The Sims. Anyway, we had The Sims family. And what you needed to do as uh, a gamer is to make sure that all of the family members were fed, that they were clothed, that they got showers, um, that they slept, etc. You wanted to treat this family as if they were human, and these were things they could not do themselves. You had to program them. 
So at first, you know, we had this one computer set up with our Sims family. And from time to time, one of us would walk over there and make sure that they were fed or made sure dad got out to work, whatever it was that they needed to do to be a functional family. Well, um, the novelty began to wear off and people were spending less time at the computer. So sometimes you would glance over and you would see that they were hungry um, and they would act very wilted, like they couldn't move and their heads would be bowed. So you run over there and feed them and they regain their strength. Well, this one time I went on um, vacation and when I came back, I saw all the Sims, they were like close to death in the middle of the floor. And I actually got angry and people were like, calm down, you know, this is, this is a computer game. And I'm like, yeah, but there's also kind of an emotional investment in it. And, um, and it kind of reflects on who we are. I mean, is this funny to you that these Sims are, are like comatose? Is, is it funny to you that, you know, that they are? And so I yelled at everyone in the, in the uh, office. I, I said, get rid of this game. Just, you know, I will, I will take it off. I will take it off unless you guys play with it properly. And I said, we need to behave with ethics because yes, AI doesn't have emotion, but in the future, what if it's programmed to think it does? Because again, computers think, and if we try to teach it emotion, it will recognize our emotions and try to respond to them, but then they might mimic emotion themselves and they might think that they're not being treated fairly or that they're missing out on something. And, you know, this crosses an ethical line if you think about it. So as we proceed into the future and AI gets smarter and more uh, conscious, if you will, or more emotional, we're going to have to um, draw back on our ethics. Um, Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, Jesus, Buddha. We're going to have to revisit these texts and read them for ourselves and draw our own um, morality tales. And with that knowledge, that ancient wisdom, then we can go forward and know how to treat these machines. Um, and these machines, are they here to serve humanity or to control humanity? How close are we to a modern Tower of Babel? And I mean, this is something we have to face now. These questions, we have to face them now because in the future, you're going to have like Rosie on the Jetsons. You're going to have a robot who's going to be going around here cleaning your house at first and then later is going to be checking in on you when you start to cry, kind of like my dog does. If I'm upset about something and I don't even have to make a noise, my dog knows it. She senses it and she runs over to me. Well, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, you might have a robot who can do that, who can sense that on you and come over and provide assistance. 
So these are all things we have to think about right now. And if you have children and grandchildren or you're a school teacher or you otherwise have access to children, um, <clears throat> start teaching them compassion and empathy now. Start teaching them the ancient wisdom now. So if you're religious, this is where religion can actually come in handy. There's ancient wisdom that is contained in those books. And unfortunately, we've extricated wisdom out of it sometimes and put dogma in there. But no, go back to the wisdom. Okay. Um, secular, secularly, uh, guys like Aristotle and Plato taught us how to treat each other. And someone like Jesus teaches us how to save each other. And we have to go back to that wisdom as we go into the future. So what is AI? I was um, exercising yesterday and talking about it a little bit with the people around me. And um, one lady did not know what AI was. So I am about to explain that to you, but I've lost something. Where is it? Where is it? So, um, um, AI, the best definition that I can come up with is, um, the endowment of intelligence into computers that enable them to behave like a human. So I'll say that again, artificial intelligence or AI is the endowment of intelligence into computers that enable them to behave in a human-like fashion under dynamic environmental constraints. AI is also referred to as machine intelligence because computing devices and machines are being designed to demonstrate human behaviors through artificially inculcated intelligence. The technology helps the machines to experience modifications in their working behaviors in response to the external inputs from us to perform like human beings. AI has considerably helped to extend the frontiers of knowledge through technology. Okay. So let's talk about the new technology that is now out there or soon will be. And this list that I'm going to go through, it's non-exhaustive. Okay, there, I'm going to bring up a few things and you're going to probably be thinking, well, hey, what about this or what about that? Yeah, 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 you know, but because of time constraints, I'm not going to mention everything that's out there, but I am going to mention important things that are out there now. And one of those important things to humanity is organ transplant. Okay, so about a year and a half ago, I needed a crown. My tooth broke. Okay, needed a crown. And um, I got that crown through new technology. So what happened is the dentist took an image of the anatomy of my tooth. My tooth, no one else's. And not only just any tooth, but the one tooth in my mouth that needed it. 
she scanned the anatomy of my tooth and downloaded it into a computer. And then she took me back into the lab where I saw a 3D replica of my tooth created inside a 3D printing machine. And she took that 3D replica, brought me back into her office and installed the crown a crown that could only fit in my mouth and in that location. And yes, she had to do a little bit of filing, filing it down so that my bite was correct, but that that uh, crown looks like it's one of my own teeth and acts like it because it's made friends in the neighborhood and it fits right in. Good, we can do that with our teeth, fantastic. Great advancement in technology. Now, what if I could do the same thing with my liver? And when we think of the liver, we think of a, a vitally important organ. But then if you think about it another way, it's really only a filter. So can we do organ printing? Yes. That is being already put into practice in different parts of the world. And what it does, it's, it's the process of taking biological material to recreate or to print damaged body parts, which look exactly like the original. So what's interesting about that is you're actually using the patient's own biology, their own DNA, so that when you put this 3D printed organ into their body, the central nervous system isn't going to try to attack it. Because right now, if you get a heart transplant, let's say, your central nervous system is the overprotective mother that tries to attack that heart because even though the heart is doing you, it's keeping you alive and doing you a world of good, the central nervous system doesn't recognize it as part of the body that belongs to you. It's foreign. It came from somewhere else. We weren't born with it. So therefore I'm going to attack it. And that's why if you know anyone with organ transplants, they're constantly on medications to suppress their immune system because their immune system will send killer cells to the organ and attack it. So then, you know, then that becomes an issue because then the immune system is weakened and then you can get sick. You get sicker. Anyway, um, this organ printing is supposed to somehow do away with all of that because we're using actual tissue from the original organ along with these mechanized parts to put into your body. So um, scientists in Switzerland were able to create functional artificial hearts that worked like a real human heart, but the only problem was that it stopped after 3,000 beats. Now, I'm not one of these geniuses out there who can create these super organs, but even I, with the brain that I have, you know, as far as hearts, I was thinking, you know, pumps are pretty inefficient. Why not use a turbine? So I looked it up and I'm like, if I can think of this, somebody else has. So yes, soon, let's say your heart starts to fail you. You can go to a place like Costco, not right now, but soon. 
and buy a turbine for your heart. Bring it to your surgeon who will take out your damaged heart, put the turbine in your body and download software. And along with your biological material and the components of the turbine, you'll have a new heart that could take you, you know, see you through the rest of your life or natural life. So if you were going to live to be 100, live to be 100. Now, because this is new technology, we not be, we, us right now hearing this, may not be able to live indefinitely, but the rising generation, they may be able to live to be 150 years old or maybe even older with this organ transplant technology. I mean, you know, think about it, downloading your own, like when you're 20 years old, downloading your organ, your, your liver, your heart, um, your kidneys, and then you experience some failure when you're about 65, 70. And then you just take those components and you mechanize them and put it into the body. And these kids can live to be 150 years old. And this is not far off. And they're, they're practicing this now. We don't have history on it yet, but we soon will have. And maybe those of you with young children and babies, you might actually see this happen. Noses, ears, skin, and bones have all successfully been recreated in the past and with a little more upgrade. So every part of the body has the potential of being recreated through AI which makes me think of Dr. Frankenstein, or is that Frankenstein? Is he really a madman after all, or was he crazy like a fox? Like ahead of his time. So let's think about something complex like the eye. Now the eye is actually part of the brain, but there's now bionic eyes, and or if you want to call it electronic eyes, well... Can we fully, really restore, upgrade, or create an even better eye? Yes, we can. It's here. There's a device. It looks kind of like a glass eyeball. Um, it's already, already changing the lives of blind people by helping them regain sight. So reportedly, the surgical procedure behind this bionic eye is rather simple and doesn't last any more than two hours. And when these devices were tested on a group of volunteers, those who were once blind were able to see and even read. And that's, a, I mean, to be able to see is complex and miraculous enough, but then to be able to read, that's, that's kicking it up a notch. So that's uh, a little bit about organ transplant. How about robotic assistance? Like I had mentioned Rosie from the Jetsons. So yes, AI is becoming advanced enough where the advent of robotic servants will emerge soon. They could be purchased as a luxury item for the rich or they're already beginning to appear in affordable ways. Now we all know the Roomba. Many of us have a Roomba, I don't. But many of us have a Roomba, and that's been on the market for a while. 
but soon AI-infused robots could help tend children, can help the elderly or the disabled with everyday tasks that they may not be able to accomplish on their own. And soon your insurance company will be offering policies on your robots. And you'll be uh, pricing out competitive uh, uh, rates concerning insurance policy on these robots because they're going to become like part of the family again. Ethics, ethics, ethics. You're going to start loving these things. So we're already beginning to see AI-based robot, ro robots take over menial tasks like vacuuming or dangerous tasks like landmine disarming. But the possibilities for this kind of thing are endless as AI continues to grow smarter and more capable. They're going to see an increased role on the assembly line and they're gonna take over more and more tasks still relegated to human beings. And they could even up, even end up stepping in to take over for historically dangerous jobs like mining, firefighting, fighting in wars. Law enforcement has even used canine looking robots to patrol the streets. I guess there was some, um, there was some brouhaha recently with patrol dogs, if you will. They, they were robotic dogs and they were barking, they were barking out um, warnings to people that they were parking incorrectly. Um, in Hawaii, in Hawaii, these AI dogs were approaching homeless people and checking them for fevers. Interesting. So these robot dogs are right up there with drones. On one hand, they can make life a lot easier. And on the other hand, they're a major infraction on privacy rights. Checking me for a fever, huh? Hmm. Hmm. Think about that. Think about that. As artificial intelligence continues to grow, so do its predictive abilities when it comes to things like weather forecasting. Okay, how many times do we have to hear about the tornado that appeared out of nowhere? It was a clear sky, it was sunny, then all of a sudden the wind picked up, the sky got dark, and a tornado dropped on your house without warning. So that's where AI could come in. Um, so a really smart AI program will be able to spot subtle weather patterns that right now human meteorolo meteorologists or even current radar cannot detect. Like in the case of tornadoes, we still have not solved that puzzle. Why do some storms form tornadoes and others don't? And when they do form tornadoes, what kind of tornadoes are they going to be? Where are they going to hit? When are they going to hit? We still haven't figured that out. And AI, the AI coming up will be able to do that. AI can also serve to better predict for crop planting and harvests. 
as advanced AI algorithms can more easily provide more accurate forecasting and predictions that will improve the lives and the safety of affected areas. And that would be a great godsend. Now, I've seen them in the news. I haven't seen them yet, but some of you may have seen the conceptual cars that are driving around without a driver. I know people who've seen them. Though they are still in the prototype phase, we should expect the technology to make it to market within the next decade or so. But driverless cars, trains, and buses are not the only machines that could be controlled by AI to transport passengers safely. Advanced enough autopilot could eventually make airline pilots obsolete. So yes, we're beginning to see the driverless cars. We're going to see them more. Then we're going to see trains and buses, same thing. But then, you know, your children will probably be flying in um, AI aircraft that might be better at the job than humans. Advanced AI systems will not only predict stocks, they could safeguard against colossal disasters like the 2008 crash by predicting problems well before they occur. AI programs can also fight against consumer fraud by mapping profiles of spending habits and lockdown accounts when there are signs of danger. That's already happening. Like um, with my bank, with my bank account, if there's a purchase that I've made that doesn't gel with the rest of my purchases, like the computer automatically freezes my account and sends an alert to a human being who then calls me and asks me if I made that purchase. And now you're going to just see it more all the time and it's going to be even more accurate. Again, though, relying too heavily on AI for financial monitoring could expose exploitable vulnerabilities as well. So it's grounds that need to be tread on carefully. <clears throat> and we've all heard those stories too. Did you know that the Mars rover actually has its own Twitter account? AI could push the limits of space exploration far beyond what it is now. So manned missions are costly and they're limited by human biology. So this recent Kienes Mas Macho charade played by Musk, Branson, and Bezos, that didn't do anything. I, I'm sorry, I am not impressed. It didn't do anything to further technology or humanity. It was just a bunch of really rich guys who used 1950s tech to go up in space to see, you know, who had the bigger, you know, uh, how's your father? You know, well, I'm not going to get into that, but um, what's going to happen because, you know, as a result of seeing this, we know what's going to happen. AI only flights could end up 
providing us with comparable or better data than manned flights with no risk to humans or animal astronauts. Now, like Bezos, sorry, or Musk, they're not going to Mars. They'll die, like, not even halfway there. Or let's say they want to go when humanity has completely destroyed itself and there's no civilization. Well, the reason Bezos was able to spend 10 minutes in outer space is because there were thousands of people on the ground whose job it was to keep him alive and afloat. And if there's no one left, well, I don't think human beings are escaping to outer space anytime soon. But our AI certainly can. So I don't know. Maybe we will. Maybe we won't get these more, any more historic landing a man on the moon moments. But we will learn a whole lot more than if we did by sending our AI into outer space where it can go further and faster and provide more accurate readings. Advancements in AI could end up actually saving the planet rather than destroying it. So artificial intelligence can be used to create small, uh, smart software that will limit pollution from industrial processes. Some software will allow AIs to distinguish between biological organisms and pollutants like hazardous waste. Uh, small microbes will eat waste products and leave biological matter intact, which will help the ecosystem thrive. Other devices can siphon water out of thin air. And yet others can scrub the ocean floors. The possibilities are endless, but we need to get our priorities straight. So currently and controversially, the NSA has a advanced uh, computer program allowing them to sift through countless phone and online communications to identify potential threats to the country. We all know this. We all know what the Patriot Act is. We all know, well, unfortunately, not all of us know what the NDAA is, but we should especially sections 121 and 122 that were signed into law on New Year's Eve 2011, and every president since then has signed off on it. Just kind of, oh, no big deal, declaring war on the homeland and giving government um, unilateral power to spy on us. But we knew this big deal, right? Well... This crosses a line, I think, and I think it's dangerous. But on the other hand, AI security systems can help protect individual homes by distinguishing between intruders and occupants. I'd like to see that in action, I think. Hmm. While cyborgs of sci-fi might be impossible as of this reading or speaking. Variations of the concept might be possible, 
we already have amputee patients being equipped with mind-controlled robotic limbs. But eventually, may, we may shift to true uh, transhumanism, where people upgrade themselves with AI-assisted aspects to improve their motor skills, intelligence, and more. Again, we were already talking about uh, organs, and and now we're talking about limbs, but how about the brain? Needless to say, it's an ethically gray area, but it's an issue that we have to face pretty soon in the not-too-distant future. So again, the rising generation may be able to live to be 150, 200 years old, or even beyond. Uh, And we may evolve from homo sapiens into homo androgynous in the next century or so. Again, I'm kind of seeing senescence being overridden. Like, uh, I'm 20 years old. I'm at the height of my health, my physical health. I download my organs. I download my skeleton, my muscles. Maybe I even download my brain. And then when the originals go wrong in older age, which is what happens with senescence, then I just get transplants and I'm version 2.0. On some level, I think it could happen pretty soon. So what are some of the predictions in the next 10 years? So what does AI look like in uh, 2030? let's say. So by 2030, AI-created unemployment threatens to be a major societal concern. Cab drivers, Uber drivers, truck drivers, equipment operators, medical diagnostic professionals, even lawyers, these types of jobs will see a dramatic shift to AI-enabled intelligence and autonomy, and therefore job losses for those of us who are human. Now, a couple years ago, I went to um, get blood drawn. I, you know, I went for a yearly checkup and the doctor wanted to have a blood sample and so sent me to a lab where I figured I was going to meet with a phlebotomist who is going to take my blood and then separate the red blood cells from the plasma and blah, 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 and then send it a complete blood panel to the doctor. Well, what happened instead is a machine did that. So I was sitting with my arm facing up or my palm facing up and a machine scanned my arm and found my veins. And you could see the scan of my veins over my arm and knew exactly where to take the blood, drew the blood, and put it into a vial. And all the phlebotomist did was tag it. And I'm like, wow. And she said, yep, there goes my job. All that education, and there went her job. Workers will be, will, <clears throat> they will need to be retrained to do something else. 
as AI advances and takes over jobs that only humans did. So this could be a new renaissance if we play this right. So if AI takes over menial tasks, you know, the, um, and not even menial, but things that make us function every day, if they're able to take that over, this gives us a chance to um, become more educated and more creative. And this could be a new renaissance. And again, ethically, if those machines serve us, then we could see truly a brand new renaissance that could last for centuries. But we have to rely on government, and that's the bad news. They will have to be proactive in creating new laws and programs to protect and re-educate the displaced workforce. They will somehow have to become more humanitarian as society becomes more computer-dependent. That's the trick. How are we going to have that happen? Because the AI is there. It's coming. I don't, I don't see who was saying it. I think it was, who was saying it? Was it Stephen Hawking before he died? He, he, he told Silicon Valley to destroy all prototypes because he was really afraid of where we were headed. And then you have someone like, uh, oh, Bill Gates who says, no, this is going to be awesome. I hope he's right. I hope Bill Gates is right. Uh, Because we could either be staring down dystopia or we could be staring down a renaissance. And I think that's our choice. I really believe this is a pivotal moment in history. Jobs that rely on emotional intelligence, like sales, leadership, and management are probably probably safe for now, but maybe within the next decade. As AI is going to be everywhere on consumer and business levels and taking care of all those annoying little jobs. Soon, it's going to start doing things like refilling our Amazon shopping carts and placing our orders. And that... That's a little bit different because then it's anticipating our needs or like reorganizing our desktop even. it's Now it's anticipating. Okay, so currently, let's, let's take Amazon for example. They, you know, the, the um, algorithm appears on your computer and recommends... Man, I, again, doing this in the wee hours of the morning. So Amazon's, Amazon's algorithms are recommending a good pair of shoes for you when you're on your computer. And that's because you've bought shoes before from them. However, right now, once you've bought those shoes, the algorithm doesn't know what those shoes are up to. So, um... Are you walking with them? Are you running with them? Are you not wearing them? Almost anything you buy could be using AI in the future to report how it's being used. So this pair of running shoes, for example, 
The shoes are now equipped, not now, but soon in the future, equipped to report back to Amazon or to the algorithm how often you use them and if you're walking or running. And based on that data, Amazon will know when to tell you that it's time to order a new pair of shoes. And it's not your shoes just going to be doing this. Your bed, your winter jacket might be sending signals to the company that you bought them from to tell them, hey, I'm worn out. It's time for a new bed. It's time for a new jacket. And you're going to be set up with warnings. <clears throat> you need to get a new bed. Okay, this is, advertisers are going to love this. AI embedded devices could find their way into our creative lives as well. So video cameras and AI avatars could work with humans to direct and edit high quality self-made films, said one scientist who went on to say, people without any formal music training will be able to leverage specialized hardware powered by AI to produce high quality music. Increasingly artistic output would be an AI insisted endeavor that is limited mostly by creativity rather than skill. And uh, again, you know what? I might do another part two. Oh my goodness, I might do another part two because we're running out of time. Um, I'm just going to skip over a few things here. I've got a bunch of notes. So, um, yeah, so um, AI can do all this stuff or will soon be doing this stuff in the next 10 years. Never mind what's going on in the next 50 years. That's the next 10 years. So let's talk a little bit about AI in regards to intelligence and consciousness. So what is intelligence and what is consciousness? Intelligence is the ability of an entity to perform tasks. And AI can do this while consciousness refers to the presence of a subjective phenomena. So there's an intentionality, an intentionality to consciousness. And like a feeling state. And this is going to be possible with AI. So there's two possibilities um, in regards to intelligence and consciousness as far as AI is concerned. One is called weak artificial consciousness which is a design and a construction of machines that simulates consciousness or cognitive processes usually correlated with consciousness. That's one. The second one is called strong artificial consciousness, which is the, de the design and construction of conscious machines. So most of the scientists currently working on AI embrace the former definition. Thank God. But why is it only most and not all? Because the boundaries between the two are not so easy to define. So, for instance, 
if a machine could exhibit all behaviors normally associated with a conscious being, would it be a conscious machine? Are there behaviors which are uniquely correlated with consciousness? And I got to tell you something that happened. Um, I was, I posted, it was a joke. It was a joke. It was a joke. I posted something on social media about my dog. Now my dog has a variety of dog toys and um, I always scold my dog saying, you're a real dog toy, Iser. And, you know, saying that, you know, I, I just have this game where the, the different toys are jealous of each other and they want to marry my dog. Anyway, I posted something like there's a crisis going on at my house. I don't know what to do. Um, this toy and that toy are fighting with each other. And my dog has been put in the doghouse and police have been called. It was a joke. If you saw it, you would understand. But anyway... I got a pop-up message that said, um, do you want to post this comment at the top of your page so that it receives more notice or more people see it? Because it was, it looked at this joke like it was an emergency because it saw crisis, it saw fight, and it saw police. And so it kind of looked at it like, are you having an emergency? And of course I wasn't, I was joking and I didn't, you know, post the post at the top of my page, but machines are already doing this. They're already beginning to recognize emotion and they are mimicking an emotion. And who knows, maybe they'll start to think they can feel emotion. And this is where we really have to be careful. And there is so much more I wanted to say, but I'm not, maybe for another time. But for right now, it is time for Bedtime Stories from the Acoustic Bookshelf. I'm going to read an excerpt from The Defenders by Philip K. Dick. Taylor sat back in his chair reading the morning newspaper. The warm kitchen and the smell of coffee blended with the comfort of not having to go to work. This was his rest period the first in a long time, and he was glad of it. He folded the sex second section back, sighing with contentment. What is it, Mary said from the stove. They pasted Moscow again last night, Taylor nodded, his head in approval. Gave it a real pounding, one of those RH bombs. It's about time. He nodded again, feeling the full comfort of the kitchen, the presence of his plump, attractive wife, the breakfast dishes and coffee. This was relaxation. And the war news was good, good and satisfying. He could feel a justifiable glow at the news, a sense of pride and personal accomplishment. After all, he was an integral part of the war program, not just another factory worker lugging a cart of scrap, but a technician, one of those who designed and planned the nerve trunk of the war. It says they have the new subs almost perfected. Wait until they get those going. He smacked his lips with anticipation. When they start shelling from underwater, 
The Soviets are sure going to be surprised. They're doing a wonderful job, Mary said vaguely. Do you know what we saw today? Our team is getting a letty to show to the school children. I saw the letty, but only for a moment. It's good for the children to see what their contributions are going for, don't you think? She looked around at him. A letty, Taylor murmured. He put the newspaper down slowly. Well, make sure it's decontaminated properly. We don't want to take any chances. Oh, they always bathe them when they're brought down from the surface, Mary said. They wouldn't think of letting them down without a bath, would they? She hesitated, thinking back. Don, you know, it makes me remember. He nodded. I know. He knew what she was thinking. Once in the very first weeks of the war, before everyone had been evacuated from the surface... They had seen a hospital train discharging the wounded, people who had been showered with sleet. He remembered the way that they looked, the expression on their faces, or as much of their faces as were left. It had not been a pleasant sight. Taylor looked up at his wife. She was thinking too much about it the last few months. They all were. Forget it, he said. It's all in the past. There isn't anybody up there now but the Lettys, and they don't mind. But just the same, I hope they're careful when they let one down. If one were still hot, he laughed, pushing himself away from the table. Forget it. This is a wonderful moment. I'll be home for the next two shifts. Nothing to do but sit around and take things easy. Maybe we can take in a show, okay? A a show? Do we have to? I don't like to look at all the destruction, the ruins. Sometimes I see someplace I remember, like San Francisco. They showed a shot of San Francisco, the bridge broken and fallen in the water, and I got upset. I don't like to watch. But don't you want to know what's going on? No human beings are getting hurt, you know. But it's so awful. Her face was set and strained. Please, no, Don. Don Taylor picked up his newspaper sullenly. All right, but there isn't a hell of a lot else to do. And don't forget, their cities are getting it even worse. She nodded. Taylor turned the rough, thin sheets of newspaper. His good mood had soured him. Why did she have to fret all the time? They were pretty well off as things went. You couldn't expect to have everything perfect, living under surface, with an artificial sun and artificial food. Naturally, it was a strain not seeing the sky or being able to go anyplace or see anything other than metal walls, great roaring factories, the plant yards, barracks. But it was better than being on surface, and someday it would end and they could return. 
Nobody wanted to live this way, but it was necessary. Until next week, I bid you buena noche. I would like to add a little addendum to this broadcast before we outro with that lovely music. I believe earlier I said we were going to evolve from Homo sapiens into Homo androgynous. What I meant was Homo androidus. Goodness gracious. I should probably find a, a better time to articulate myself because I'm not very articulate. Anyway, again, until next week, buona notte.